Our lesson this morning comes from the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. Hear these words. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard a voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate or drank. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The steel of greatness is forged in the pit. The steel of greatness is forged in the pit. At the age of 40, Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses came to the rescue of the Hebrew slave, killing the Egyptian. And the Hebrews accused Moses of murder, and Moses fled Egypt, ended up in the land of Midian, working for his father-in-law Jethro for 40 years. He was a shepherd in the backwoods. It was the pit out of which the greatness of Moses was forged. The Apostle Paul failed by the fire, failed at Caesarea Philippi, failed to walk on the water, yet it's the Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, excuse me, who, who preaches the sermon at Pentecost, becomes the early leader of the church, and in his first epistle, Peter said, don't be surprised when this fiery ordeal comes because it's testing your faith. It's purifying your faith because it's out of the pit that steel of greatness is forged. So we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus and we're not told some sweet nativity story about how his mama held him in her arms. We're not told that Saul of Tarsus had friends in Tarsus and they used to run and bounce along the narrow streets of Tarsus playing as little boys. We're not even told about Saul, the young attorney who sat at the feet of the rabbi Gamaliel and learned the law. Nope, our introduction to Saul is quite stark and quite bloody. Saul is standing at the stoning of Stephen and he's approved of it. He held the robes of the men of the area who were stoning Stephen so they could throw with more speed and better aim. 
And Luke tells us, but Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house and dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. And later he would commend them and write warrants for their death. Saul of Tarsus, the picture painted in the scripture is bloodthirsty. He's angry. He hates the name of Jesus. He is going to do anything he can to eradicate the church. It's not a painting you would commission. It's not something you would want hanging on your wall. But it is the story of this man who will eventually become Paul the Apostle. Jesus said, which one of you, having a hundred sheep, will leave the 99 and go after the one? And we have all of these bucolic images of Jesus as the good shepherd and he, he finds the little helpless lamb and wraps the helpless lamb up in his arms and returns the lamb to his fold. But I want to suggest this lost lamb, Saul of Tarsus, is a full-grown ram and he's an angry ram. And when the good shepherd finds this angry ram, the ram is apt to headbutt the good shepherd because he doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Paul describes what happened on the road to Damascus, he says this later in the book of Acts. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and my companions. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick at the goads. It hurts you to kick at the goads. A goad was a stick that they would use on the um, backside of oxen. And they would poke at the oxen to get the ox to do what they wanted them to do, whether it was pull the cart or pull the plow. And, and sometimes the ox resented having this hard stick poked in their backside, and the ox would kick at the stick, which would then stab the leg of the ox. And so by kicking against the goad, you're actually doing more damage to yourself than just having the farmer poke at you. And Jesus is saying to Paul, You've been, I've been poking at you and you're not listening. Jesus and the Apostle Paul were basically the same age. We know that the Apostle Paul was in Jerusalem while Jesus is in Jerusalem and it's not unreasonable to assume, although he never mentions it, that the Apostle Paul may have heard Jesus preach. He would not have liked what Jesus was saying at the point because he was violently opposed to anything Christ said. He was violently opposed to these people who claimed that their dead leader was now risen from the dead. He was violently opposed to anyone who would follow this way. He wanted them dead. He wanted them stopped. He wanted this movement gone so everyone could return to being good Jews. We in the Methodist Church talk about prevenient grace. It's grace that gets there before we're aware of it. It's grace that 
brings us into fellowship with Christians. It's grace that sometimes gets us to church. It's, it's a grace that shows that God is always moving in our lives, even when we're not aware of it. And, and every time I hear us talk about prevenient grace, I get this picture of the children singing on Christmas Eve, the children's choir. They're all there in white robes, not a spot on the white robe. All the little children are singing just in beautiful unison and it's a holy moment and it's a divine moment and that's how I see prevenient grace and sometimes that's how I see God's grace. But with Saul of Tarsus, grace whopped him up by the backside of the head. Grace knocked him down. Grace made him blind. Grace made him absolutely helpless because God's grace had been active with Saul and Saul was not having any of it. So God said, I'll show you, Bubba. And just thumped him. You see that pit you sometimes fall in, that, that wall you sometimes meet, turns out very often it's the grace of God. And because we're so stubborn and because we are so self-assured and because we know better than the Lord God Almighty, sometimes God just has to go, do I have your attention now? And we go, how could God let something like this happen in my life? Well, it happened because you weren't listening. So here he is, Saul of Tarsus. He's been knocked to his knees. He's been struck blind. The people will pick him up and they'll walk him into Damascus and that's where I want you to leave Saul because we're coming back to Saul next week. Just leave Saul blind and in Damascus. By the way, he's hungry and thirsty because he hasn't eaten or had anything to drink for three days. I want to say three things about us and what this says to us at this point. First, no matter how you appear today, no matter how you appear today, every one of us has a dark side. I've actually thought about one Sunday I need to start a worship service with, hi, I'm Doug, I'm a sinner. And let the congregation respond back. Hi, Doug, we're sinners too. And then I could get up and confess. I want to confess that I have not sinned for four minutes and 31 seconds. It would be more transparent, wouldn't it? I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Tony Campalo does have a great line in his book. It was... Uh, yeah, that was Friday, but Sunday's a coming. I think that's the book it's in, but his line is, Compalo tells a congregation, if I knew what kind of sinners you were, I wouldn't preach to you. And the token is, if you knew what kind of sinner I was, you wouldn't listen to me. And that's where we are. We are all sinners, no matter how much we clean up, no matter how much we come to church, no matter how in love with Jesus we all are, all of us have a past. Thank God that past is forgiven for as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he removes our sins from us. And not only does God forgive our sins, God forgets our sins. But we are all like Saul of Tarsus who becomes the apostle Paul. We all have a dark side. Second, 
Regardless of what you've done, no one is beyond hope. Regardless of what you've done, no one is beyond hope. You know, we talk about John Wesley and um, we talk about the Alters Gate experience and, and how he created this movement we call Methodism and, and how we're living into our, our history and rediscovering some of the great things about being a Wesleyan follower and, and uh, a member of the Wesleyan movement. What we don't talk a lot about is Wesley and Georgia. John Wesley went back to England one step ahead of the high sheriff of Georgia. You see, the high sheriff of Georgia had a daughter named Sophie, and John Wesley got to Sophie one Sunday morning at the communion service, and John Wesley refused to serve Sophie communion. And the high sheriff didn't like that. And the high sheriff put out a warrant for Wesley's arrest, and Wesley jumped on a boat as quick as he could to get out of Dodge so the high sheriff wouldn't throw him in the pokey. That's great leadership, brothers and sisters. John Wesley was a failure, a complete, abject failure. Yet, he met some Moravians. The Moravians told him, look, we know you're struggling, and we know you're struggling with your whole salvation thing and being a preacher. They told him, preach faith until you have faith. Once you have faith, you can preach faith. And that's part of the Wesleyan transition and transformation that John Wesley believed that no one is beyond hope. We all have hope that no matter what we have done, our sins can be forgiven. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I have yet to find an accept clause in that. Oh, preacher, you don't know what I've done. Oh, congregation, you don't know what I've done. But I'm forgiven. And I have hope. I have hope that I move on in grace, this thing we call sanctifying grace, that each day God is working with me, each day. It's less and less about Doug and more and more about Jesus. Each day, that's what I want to do. I want to grow into Christ-likeness. Each day. Do I always succeed? No. Some days I think I'm on the road to Christ-likeness, and some days... I'm just a broken down old car on the side of the road and I'm wondering what happened to that resolve. But we learn no one is beyond hope. Look, if God can take Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the church, and turn him into Paul the apostle, imagine what he can do with you. Yeah, you. Third thing, even though your past might be soiled, anyone and everyone can find a new beginning in Christ. Here's what Paul said about his life. He said, look, I haven't achieved total Christ-likeness. One thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul uses the picture of a, of a runner 
straining and leaning into the finish line. He's not looking behind him to see what he's done, to see if it's catching up with him. He has got his eyes ahead on Christ Jesus, and he is running with perseverance and with faith the race that is set before him. Paul believes that he has a new beginning in Christ Jesus. What about you? How do we do this new beginning? The Bible says, for all have sinned, fallen short of the, great, the glory of God. And if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts in Jesus, if we say Christ is Lord, invite him into our lives, he transforms our hearts. The two words I like to think of are the word Abba and the word Amen. Abba is the Aramaic word that's probably best translated daddy. It's a word of endearment, a word of affection that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, we're saying daddy, daddy. And we pray that God's will would be done in our lives and we pray that we would be forgiven as we forgive and we pray that God would not lead us to a time of testing or to a time of trial, but we worship with the doxology that yours is the power and the glory. It's calling on God and living with God as our Father and it's saying amen. Amen is just the Hebrew word for saying yes. Amen, to what God's called us to be, to what God's called us to do, to the future that God is, has for us in Christ Jesus. It has, not, it has not been mortgaged. It's been forgiven. It's been sealed and it waits for you, no matter what you've done. My friend Henry is an interesting story. Henry... Uh, Henry's mama and daddy loved him. Henry's brother and sister loved him. Henry just grew up in a loving household and a loving family, and Henry was a smart man. He had everything going for him. He got married and, and had a daughter and was just, by all accounts, just the happiest man you could ever meet. His business was going well. His family life was going well. Everything was, was just lining up for Henry. Henry had a bad habit, though. Henry liked to snort cocaine. And then Henry discovered that um, snorting cocaine gets expensive, so he learned to cook meth. Can you imagine it? Henry, after getting high snorting cocaine, is cooking meth. It's a wonder he didn't just blow himself up immediately into the presence of God. And Henry's parents, their hearts were broken because they wanted to do all they could to keep Henry out of trouble and to, to straighten Henry's life out, and he rejected their love. And Henry's wife wanted to help Henry be healed and hold, and his daughter wanted daddy to be okay, and Henry ended up beating his wife and abusing his child. And Henry was caught and tried and imprisoned. 
for quite a long span of time. Henry got out of the prison, and it was after he was out. He didn't have a, a prison salvation experience. He had an after he was out salvation experience that he realized that even though he had done all those horrible things, God loved him. And there was hope in his life. And Henry gave his life to Jesus Christ, accepted him as Lord and Savior, and Jesus wrapped his arms around Henry and said, welcome home. Yeah, you kicked against the goads for a while, but welcome home. And I watched Henry over the years. Every time we sang Amazing Grace, Henry would be standing in the sanctuary, just tears rolling down his face. Anytime you said the word grace to Henry, tears would start rolling down his face. Henry knew God's amazing grace. He was reconciled to his daughter. He was reconciled to his parents. His, his ex-wife even got to where they were friends again. And we saw in Henry authentic conversion. Henry plays with antiques now. And if you talk to him about an antique, he will marshal you over to one that he wants to show you that was particularly broken up, that needed a lot of work. And Henry will start telling you that was his life. It was broken and it was shattered and it was ruined, and it was ruinous to others until he met Jesus Christ, until he accepted God's grace for himself. So remember, no matter how you appear today, every one of us has a dark side. No matter what you've done, no one is beyond hope. And remember that even though your past is soiled, everyone and anyone can have a new beginning in Christ. And then the final thing is this. Now I want you to remember this. A spiritual director friend of mine was always telling us this, be who you is. Because if you is who you ain't, you ain't who you is. You want them again? <laughs> Be who you is. Because if you is who you ain't, you ain't who you is. Who is you? Who are you? You are a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint and a sinner at the same time. You live with a paradox and a polarity of your existence that at the same moment you are both saint and sinner. And sometimes we lose sight of that paradox and the old devil starts coming and whispering in our ears, oh, you think you're a saint? You think you're so good, but you're not. God saw what you said and did. God knows what you're thinking. And the old devil starts putting the spirit of condemnation and judgment on you and rather than live as a victorious child of God, a son or daughter of the king, 
you bow your head and say, oh, woe is me, I'm a sinner. And I want to say, we need to say to the devil, uh-uh, devil. We need to be like the Apostle Paul who said this. Look, I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh, Paul said. The things that are good that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that are bad that I don't want to do, those are the very things I do. Who is going to save me from this wretched body of death, wretched man that I am? And then Paul starts the eighth chapter of the book of Romans and says, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You need to highlight that in your Bible. It's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whether you're a sinner on the road to become a saint or you're a saint that sometimes stubs their toe and sins, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you've been saved by grace. So when that devil starts whispering at you, when that devil tries to bring you down, when you get on yourself, remember these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. That's what changed Saul of Tarsus into Paul the Apostle. The indescribable, infinite grace of God in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we need to be reminded. So we're going to do two things in just a second. I'm going to have you stand. Go ahead and stand with me. Let's do that. Mark's going to lead us simply singing that, those three verses of Amazing Grace, and then we're going to swing into Amazing Grace, the full version. But as we do that, the altar of the church is open, and I invite you, whether you're a sinner that needs to be saved by grace, or you're a saint that needs a little extra grace in your life, however you're struggling, I invite you to the altar to experience anew and experience again the grace of God. Would you come? Mark, lead us as we sing. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.